Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Today is uh, the last day of our church year. This, I know that sounds kind of funny because it's you know, just the middle of September. But for this past year, starting last September, we've been looking at this idea of God being on the move. And even though there are times where it looks like God is silent or absent or not working, as we looked at this summer in the story of Esther and in the story of Joseph from the Old Testament, we've come away with a firm conviction that God truly is working in our midst. This year, we've also looked at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where we see God kind of wrapping it all up, tying all the loose strings together, and we see that last page of the last chapter turn, and we see that God wins, that he conquers all, that he is the righteous king and judge who does execute perfect judgment here on earth, and he works throughout all of history. And he's working in our lives today, and he certainly has the future under control as well. And he's working all that out for his honor and for his glory. God is on the move. That's what we've been trying to say this year. God is on the move. We've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and fills our lives when we trust in Christ. And he's like that wind pushing the sails on a sailboat, making that sailboat race across the lake or across the ocean even. The wind is carrying it along and God's spirit is able to work and move in our lives so that where we don't have the power naturally to resist temptation, we have the power to stand up and say, I'm gonna yield to God and do his will instead of giving in to this sin. Where we don't have the courage and strength to share our faith with others or to serve those who are hurting and broken. We have the courage and strength from God, the bravery from God because of his spirit to push forward and to open our mouths and be bold in declaring our faith. Where we are confused and, and frightened, God gives his peace and his wisdom through his spirit. Where we are just discouraged and downtrodden, God gives his spirit to fill us with his joy. His own personal presence empowers us, works in us, so that we can go do his work in this world as well. This is what we've been talking about all this year. And you're saying, well, pastor, how come it only took you, you know, two minutes to say all that and you just spent 52 weeks (laughs) of an hour every Sunday trying to explain all that? The point is, it's important that we remember where we've been so that we can look forward to where we're going. I want to wrap up this year by looking at a very unusual psalm. To my knowledge, as I've looked at my records, I've never preached on this psalm. I don't know that I've ever taught this psalm, to be honest with you. I think I might have once, but I honestly don't remember when it was. I just have a commentary where there's markings in it, and I think I looked at it and studied it one time. But I would like you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Psalm 94. Psalm 94. And as we do that, I want to just set this up a little bit to help you understand the significance, importance of this psalm. One of the, the hardest things that I face as a preacher is, you know, well, you just preach the Bible. Yeah, but the Bible's full of so much stuff, so many wonderful things. How do you choose what you're supposed to share with God's people on a given Sunday and you pray and you ask for wisdom and you you look and you see what God is speaking to you about and maybe what he's shown you and I have to admit to you that I've been reading through the book of Psalms the last 
a uh, couple weeks of, of the summer and, and, and I'm actually trying to read like five psalms a day and just go through the entire book and see it all in, in a month and, and just learn what God has for me there. And this psalm stood out to me and as I thought about the fear that we're all facing in this world, how frightened we are, how anxious that a lot of us are. I mean, did you hear about that time just recently? And I believe it was in Times Square in New York City. There was a truck driving through Times Square and it backfired and everybody ducked down and ran for cover because they thought somebody was shooting. And why is that? Because we live in a world that's so full of anxiety and so frightening and so scared because there have been so many shootings. And in all of that, that's just a picture of the stress and fear that we're living under these days. And as I was reading through Psalm 94 in my, my own quiet time with the Lord one morning, a couple verses of this psalm really stood out to me. He says that when my foot was about to slip, your loving kindness was there. Your steadfast love was there to hold me up. When my mind was overwhelmed with worries and cares, you were there to console me and help me. I thought, God, that's exactly where I'm at today. I feel like my feet are slipping. Whatever side of the slippery slope I'm on, I feel like I'm going down in a heartbeat. I need you to hold me up. I need you to take the worries and the cares and the stress that I feel in my mind. You've got to help me, and I'm trusting you for your consolation and help. And I found great encouragement by just reflecting on that, meditating on that, praying about that in my own life. And I thought that as I was searching for what could we look at together today to tie this year of thinking about God being on the move, how could we tie this all together? And I thought, you know what, maybe this psalm is just the, the medicine we need to take, the, the, the icing on the cake of the dessert of our feast that we've had this year. Maybe it's just that little booster shot we need, that extra shot of divine espresso, so to speak, that we need for that little extra kick to remind us that not only is God at work and God on the move in this world, but because He's on the move in this world, you and I can be on the move with Him in this world as well. Psalm 94 is about God being the righteous judge. It's in the context of a small collection of psalms in the Psalter, the, the, the book of Psalms. There's 150 of them. And this is one of the psalms is in a small collection that starts with, with Psalm 93 and runs up to Psalm 99. And every one of the psalms in this collection talks about God being the king or God being the judge. And in the ancient world, the ancient Near East, the time that this psalm was written, the king was like the final judge, the ultimate authority. Yes, they had legislatures. Yes, they had administrators that made laws and rules. But if there was any kind of arbitration that needed to be done, it would work its way up until finally the king would have to render a decision. And whatever the king said was law. With that concept in mind, the writer of this psalm is saying that's what our king does. He's the judge. He's the one who holds everybody in the entire universe accountable. Psalm 93, Psalm 94, 95, but all of them talk about God being the king or God being the judge. Some of the psalms emphasize his authority over all creation, the storms of life, earthquakes, volcanoes, things like that, the oceans, the animals. God is in charge of it all, the stars and galaxies of the universe and the, that we see in the nighttime sky. God rules over all these, these things. But Psalm 94 reminds us that God is the ruler of my life 
life and your life as well. He is the judge of our lives. He is to be the king of our lives, the president of our lives, the chief executive over us. And we are responsible to live our lives under his authority. In fact, we're going to see here that God stands. He's the judge who stands up and defends the weak and the vulnerable. He stands up and defends the righteous, the God-fearing folks, the faithful folks who belong to him and trust in him. And because this God is so faithful to his people, his people can be faithful to him and stand with those who are weak and vulnerable themselves as well. They're able to do that. And that's what the message of this psalm is all about. Now, I'd like to read this with you this morning. And the way I'd like to do this is I'd like to just read it and let you listen. And you follow along and I want you to hear the message of this psalm. Psalm 94, this is on page 498. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O God, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all evil, the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. The psalm starts out with the writer indicating that this is, in a sense, his charge against the wicked evildoers, the boastful, proud, arrogant individuals who think that they can do whatever they want because they believe that God either doesn't exist or God ignores what's going on or that God doesn't care. And because that's their understanding, they go out and notice what they do. They crush your people. They afflict your heritage, your inheritance, the, the people who belong to you. They kill. And is this metaphorical? Is it a hyperbole or is it literal? Whatever. They're still oppressing and destroying the widow, the sojourner, and the, and the fatherless. They're murdering the fatherless. These are all people that don't have families. People who have no one to care for them. The, the sojourner, oh, we say it in our language, the migrant. The migrant. The migrant doesn't have a family. They've come to this country or another country and they've left their family behind. Then there's the widow. She doesn't have a husband to protect her and defend her and provide for her. And then there's the orphan. An orphan in, in the ancient Hebrew culture was not somebody that didn't have mom or dad as much as it was someone that didn't have dad. Think about all the young people in our culture today that dad is gone. Maybe mom is there, but dad is gone. And he's saying that God needs to come to the rescue of these people because dad's not there, husband's not there, family's not there to help them and protect them. And yet these wicked, boastful, arrogant evildoers are oppressing them. And they say that the Lord does not see, the Lord does not perceive. He doesn't see, he doesn't understand what's going on. That's why the writer of the psalm starts out with these very powerful words at the beginning of this opening paragraph. O Lord, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, you are the God of vengeance. O God of vengeance, shine forth. And the plea is that God, 
the righteous God who is the judge of all the earth, that his justice would burst forth like the radiance of the sun. We had the privilege, Dawn and I did, my wife and I, had the privilege of going down to the ocean a couple days ago last week. And the first three days of our trip there were cloudy and chilly and breezy and a little drizzly some of the time. But boy, oh boy, on Thursday, the sun came out and the skies were clear and it was like laser beams blasting down on top of us when we sat out on the beach. I had a spot on my shoulder where I forgot to get enough of the sunscreen on. I've got this sunburn right there. This, <laughs> it kind of looks funny. I think I got a new tattoo. I'm not sure. Anyway, but there, but there it is. It's just, it's just, you know, 93 million miles away and yet the sun is damaging my skin. How powerful is that? And that's the point that the writer is trying to make here. God, I want your radiance, your justice, your glory, your righteousness just to burst forth like the sun on a cloudless sunny day shining down upon us. I want your justice to come and shine like that in our world because the world is full of darkness. The world is full of evil. There are these corrupt people, these arrogant evildoers that are pressing the weak. I need you. I cry out to you to shine down your justice on it. It's a plea, a cry for justice. Rise up, he says in verse 2. Rise up, O judge of the earth. You're not just the judge of Israel. You're the judge of all the nations. You're not just the judge of the Christians, but you're the judge of every person that there is. You're not just the judge of sinners. You're the judge of all people, wherever they are, wherever they come from, and whatever their nationality and ethnicity. You're the judge of everyone, the entire earth. And I'm asking you to come and bring your judgment and repay the proud for what they deserve. Now, the thing that's interesting is that this psalm, while it's talking about God being the righteous king who judges everyone and holds everyone accountable to do what is right, there's a struggle among many Bible scholars over the centuries as they read psalms like this in the Bible. Is it right for a Christian to pray this stuff? Is it right for him or her, the Christian, to pray for God to judge sinners and the wicked and things like that? I mean, I thought we were supposed to forgive our enemies. I thought we were supposed to turn the other cheek. I thought we were supposed to bless those who curse us and do good to those who harm us. I thought we're supposed to overcome evil with good. How come he's praying for God to smash these guys? How come he's praying for God's hammer of justice to fall upon them and crush them? How come he's doing that? I, suppose, I thought we're supposed to forgive them and, and just let, let it go. And the answer to that is that Yes, Jesus has taught us that we are to forgive our enemies and we are to bless those who curse us and we're to return good for evil. There's no question that that's exactly what Christ followers are called to do. But the same scripture, the same New Testament clearly teaches us that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so it is right and proper for us that while we can forgive our enemies and let go of the injustice we have suffered and let go of the harm and the abuse and the, the, the oppression that we have received, we can let go of that. We commit it to God. And we say, God, you bring about your justice. God, you settle the score. Listen, there is a drive and a desire inside everyone's heart here. Everyone here has this in their heart. Every human being alive on this planet has this in their heart. There is a desire for proper moral 
justice. We're looking for a restoration of all the things that have been turned on its head. This psalm talks about people being authority. We'll see that in just a moment at the end of the psalm. That there are people in authority who use their authority to oppose and oppress the widow and the orphan and the migrant and the righteous. The innocent, vulnerable people are the ones that get stepped on and crushed. And everybody knows that's wrong even though they're people who still do it. And there's something about us, who, there's something within us that cries out and says, justice must be done. There's a proper moral order that needs to be restored. We have a human longing, a natural longing for that. And when that injustice persists and when it goes on, there's something that cries out and aches within us that says, this is not right. Justice must be done. And that's what the psalmist is praying for. Not that he takes it into his own hands, but he's saying, God, you have to. Now, the trouble is, is that if God exercises his perfect justice, if he brings about his proper moral order and, all, and, and everyone gets the judgment that they deserve and the justice they deserve, how many of us are gonna be here? <laughs> Not me. Maybe you, but I doubt it. But certainly not me. None of us would be. Because we deserve God's judgment. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. We all deserve to go to hell. How's that for a cheery word on a Sunday morning? But that's the truth. But the good news I want you to know is not that you have to go to hell. The good news is Jesus died for you on the cross he took the judgment of God. He suffered the wrath of God. He willingly took that upon himself because he loves you and he loves me. He endured the cross, suffered and died there, taking the wrath of God, the judgment of God, so we could be forgiven by God, acquitted by God, and welcomed and received into God's family. Jesus satisfied the justice of God and he willingly did that because God loves you and Jesus, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they love you. And Jesus gave his life for you. So because of that, now I'm free to forgive my enemy because I know God's gonna bring about justice. I know from the book of Revelation that judgment is coming and that Jesus the King is coming back and all that's wrong will be made right and everything that's upside down morally will be set right side up and all that's broken and fractured because of the injustice of evil and the injustice of human beings that are wicked and demonic powers that are, that are hell-bent on destroying the human race and destroying God's good creation, all that is gonna be restored and made right because Jesus the King is coming back to do that. Now, in this passage, what we're seeing here is a cry for justice. And as he gives this cry for justice, he gives a warning to people who are looking at those wicked people and thinking, hey, I can get away with that too. And the psalm writer says how foolish that is, how stupid literally it is. You're just like a dumb animal. How foolish. And, but then he also gives an encouragement to believers, to people who are faithful. 
So look what he says to the foolish people in verse eight. Understand, O dullest of people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who rebukes the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but breath. In other words, if someone says, you know, the wicked are getting away with it, because that's what we see so often in our world. We think about all the injustice, all the terrorists, all the the wicked criminal gangs and such. It looks like they just get away. They get away with doing their evil. They kill the widow. They hurt the migrant. They oppress the orphan. They, They persecute the innocent and the righteous. And they do all of this, and it looks like they get away with it. Even in our own country, this happens. And what the psalmist is trying to say, if you think they get away with it, you're actually very foolish. It's actually very stupid to believe that. Why? Because here's the truth. You need a dose of reality. That's, you don't have to be foolish. I don't have to be stupid any longer. We need a good, healthy dose of reality. We need to have the picture sharpened and brought into focus so we see what really is going on. Here's what's really going on. He says in verse 9, who is the one who planted the ear? Doesn't he hear? He describes God as a gardener. God planted the ear. If God made our ear while we were in the womb, if he made Adam and Eve's ear, the first human beings, if God is the one who designed this whole sense of hearing, doesn't he hear? If God is the potter, he says in the next verse, if God is the potter who shaped and formed the human eye and gave us the power of sight, if he's the potter who fashioned all those faculties of perception and sight, doesn't God see? Of course he sees. If God is the one who holds all the nations accountable and he rebukes the nations and disciplines the nations, doesn't he do this with all the other people of this world? And the answer is yes, he does. Who is the one who really teaches man knowledge? Why, it's the Lord. The Lord knows the thoughts of man. The Lord is the one who knows what's true. The Lord sees, the Lord hears, the Lord teaches, the Lord disciplines and rebukes, and he does that with all people. Certainly he's doing that even in the lives of the evil people who are doing their wicked deeds in their arrogant pride, thinking that God doesn't see and God doesn't know, as we saw up in verse 7. And he describes those thoughts that they have. He knows, it says in verse 11, the thoughts of man that they are but a breath, literally that they're vain. They're just a puff of air. That's all the substance they have. And the thoughts he's specifically talking about are they say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. They say God doesn't understand. The psalm writer is saying, buddy, you're the one that needs to understand. You need to understand that there's a God who sees and hears and knows exactly what everybody is doing, and he will hold all people accountable. He's the one who rebukes the nations. He disciplines the nations. And if you think you can do these things, oppressing the weak and the vulnerable, you think you can do injustice in this way, you've got something else coming to you. The truth is you need to understand this. There's a God who will judge you and hold you accountable if you oppose and oppress the weak and vulnerable instead of defending them and fighting for them and helping them. There's a God who will bring justice to you. But then there's also 
a word of encouragement to the faithful. There's a warning to the fools and there's a word of encouragement to the faithful. Look at verse 12. Blessed, how happy to be envied. Look how they prosper. Look how God has worked in their lives to favor them. Blessed is the man, and it's not just males, it's people, persons there. Blessed is the individual whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. The word of encouragement is this. Listen, there's a judge, a God of righteousness and justice, and he judges all people. For the Christian, for the one who trusts him and follows him, it's like training. It's like discipline. It's like all this hard stuff that you go through to make us stronger. I think about Brett here, okay? He just got through basic training with the Marines and all the exercising, all the hiking, all the shooting, all the training he had to go through. It was so hard. I can't help but imagine he's a strong guy and he's determined, but I can't help but think there were probably some thoughts along the way where he says, what did I sign up for? I feel like quitting. Do you ever feel like quitting? Maybe, okay, he's being honest. Yes, he did. I would. That's discipline. They're trying to take a young man and create in him a warrior. And that takes work and discipline. God is working in his people as the judge. And he's creating in us not people who are judgmental, but people who work for justice. Not people who say, I'm better than you, or I'm above you, but people who instead stand by the weak, the vulnerable, the righteous, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the migrant. You stand beside them and you defend them. You help them. Because that's exactly what God is doing. We stand with them and helping them. That's what we're called to do. And he's working to bring that about in our lives. He says, blessed are those whom you discipline, those who you train to do these kinds of things, whom you're teaching out of your law to follow your law and do what you want. All of us deserve the judgment of God. There's no question. But Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be shielded and protected from the judgment of God so now we can become his followers and now he can teach us and train us to follow him and become like him and being folks that work for justice and serve the hurting and the broken of our world for the honor and glory of God. We stand with those who are suffering because we have a God who stands with us. We defend the weak and the hurting because there's a God who defends us. We come to the rescue of those who are lost because there's a God who came to our rescue in Christ and gave himself for us. So now we can help those who are lost find rescue in Christ as well. How happy or how blessed is the person that you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law. And the thing is, is when we follow him and we stand for what is right and true and we let God teach us this, then we find rest in our own lives. We're able to, to, in a sense, find peace and relax and God's control of all things until he digs a pit 
for the wicked. In the ancient world, if you wanted to trap a ferocious animal, a wild animal that was very dangerous, you would dig a hole in the ground, a pit that they would fall into with steep sides, and you'd cover it up, and that lion or that bear or whatever it was that would be coming along, it would come along and fall into the pit, and it was trapped. If you don't have a trap to catch it, that lion will continue to attack your, your flocks of sheep or will continue to molest and harm your children that are playing outside. So you've got to get rid of that dangerous animal and God's like the divine hunter and he's stalking the wicked of this world and he digs a pit for them and the judgment's coming and they'll fall right into it. And those that trust him and follow him are able to rest in knowing, you know what, I don't have to get revenge because God's going to. I, I don't have to exact justice myself right now because I know God is going to bring about his judgment on them. My job is to help the weak and the poor and the, the sick and the afflicted, the innocent and the righteous. I need to stand with them because God is standing with me and with us to bring about his judgment on those who are cruel and violent and doing their evil deeds as well. The promise in verse 14 is this, the Lord will not forsake his people. The wicked may crush his people, but God will not forsake them. Even as they go through their suffering and harm, God will not forsake them. He will be with them. He will see them through this. He will not abandon his heritage. He treats his people like an inheritance, a a prized personal possession. He will not abandon them. Because he says justice will come back upon the righteous and all that are upright in heart will follow it. God God is bringing about his righteousness. It will come back. It's it's like a boomerang. You ever played with a boomerang? You throw it and it comes back. I always had to learn to throw it right to get it to actually come back. But, you know, you can do that. It kind of boomerangs back. Well, justice is that way. It does come back. And often the evil deeds that people do, those evil deeds will come back upon them and that's how God judges them and brings about his justice and righteousness. So the question is this, what are you and I supposed to do in light of this? And we start seeing this beginning in verse 16 because all of a sudden it becomes personal. Everything up in this point is theoretical and now it becomes personal. God begins, to, the psalmist begins to say, this is how I've tried to apply this to my life. This is what I sense God inviting me to do and this is how I'm responding to it. This is what I'm learning in all of this. This is where the fact that God is the just judge, the king of all the earth, this is what difference it makes in my life, myself. He asks this rhetorical question, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, if he had not come to my aid to assist me, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. And you can probably figure that one out, that the land of silence is the grave the place of the dead, where there's no more talking. And it's silent forever in that sense. Their bodies are just in the ground. And he says, if I did not have the Lord's help, then I would be in that place of silence. But the truth is, God has come to my help. He has come to my aid. He is my helper, and he is the one who's assisting me. And and we're going to see four ways that God came 
to the help of the psalmist. And there are four ways that you and I can have help. And when we see God working these four ways in your life and mine, it helps us become brave believers. It helps us become fearless and we're able to live fearlessly. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. The writer here says, look, it's the fact that God has a loyal love for me. That's what that steadfast love means. It's the idea of commitment. It's a Hebrew word that means commitment. And by commitment, he's talking about in a very special way. He's saying it's a commitment of love and loyalty that doesn't require a prior relationship with the person who's loved. I'm going to be committed to you just because I choose to do it. And not only that, it's a committed love that doesn't depend on the other person being committed to to him. So there might even be an abandonment or a betrayal, and yet God stays loving and committed to to the person that he's committed to. And that's the kind of love, the loving kindness, the steadfast love of the Lord, the loyal love of the Lord. It's committed to you. Whether you know the Lord or not, he's committed to you. Whether you've been faithful to the Lord or not, he's committed to you and committed to me. And we can trust and rely and depend on him because of that loyal love he has. That loyal love, he says, protected me. And I know that he will never leave me or forsake me or abandon me. Notice what he then says in verse 19. When the cares of my heart were many, when I had all these worries and all this anxiety, when I was afraid of all these things, your consolations cheer my soul. That little word there, consolation. The picture is, you see it in the book of Job chapter 15 and then Isaiah chapter 66 verse 11. It talks about a woman comforting her child, her young child, and and putting that child to her breast to nurse. And just how soothing and comforting that is and calming that is for that child. And you've, you've seen that as a parent or grandparent. Child can be so upset, so distraught, And there's just something about giving the child the bottle or the breast in that way, and it's just very calming and it's peaceful. And often the child just falls asleep totally relaxed. We always called it a milk coma. But, you know, they're just at peace. And that's the picture that the psalmist is saying here. That's how great God's promises of his safety, how faithful he is in his presence. It's so calming. It's so comforting. His comforting presence in my life. That no matter what I'm going through, I'm not alone. He's loyal in his love, and his presence is such a comfort and strength to me. I'm not alone in this hardship. If you're a widow, you're not alone. If you're an orphan, you're not alone. If you feel oppressed, you're not alone. If you're hurting, you're not alone. If you're confused, you're not alone. The Lord is there with you if you're trusting in him. And you're not alone. That comforting presence to soothe you and strengthen you even when your heart is overwhelmed, your mind is overwhelmed with worries and anxiety. He asks a question then because a lot of people are saying, yeah, but you don't know how rough my situation is. My, my government's corrupt. That's what he's saying in verses 20, 20 and 21. There, there, there are people in power that are using their power not to do what's good, but actually to do what is wicked. He asks another rhetorical question. Can wicked rulers, and it's literally the throne of corruption, 
Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They make laws that actually perpetrate and, and, and make happen injustice. They codify injustice instead of legislating justice and righteousness. Look at what they're doing. They frame injustice by statute. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Instead of condemning the wicked, it's the people who are law-abiding. It's the people who are weak and vulnerable. They're the ones that get punished. They're the ones that are suffering at the hands of the law just because they're weak and vulnerable or righteous. Can these people, these authorities that are like a mafia or a terrorist cell or, or some kind of gang in a, in a city just running roughshod. It's like that. They're like a lawless gang. Is God on their side? And the answer is no, He's not. Because He is there to defend and do what is right. He's there to restore that proper moral order that everyone is crying out for. He is the standard of that proper moral order. Not what the culture says or society says or popular opinion says. He's the standard of what's right and just. And he does always enforce that. And so that's why he says, the psalmist does in verse 22, but the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquities and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. And so what we understand here is God is doing two things while we live in a world that has injustice and while we live in a world and we're trying to serve him in a world where there are corrupt leaders over, overseeing us. And I'm honestly not pointing the finger at any political party or any government. It's just the world that we live in. There are corrupt managers and bosses and judges and cops and leaders and governors and presidents and things like that in our world. We've experienced that. We've seen that. Cruel tyrants and people that rule over us and oppress the people of God and oppress the weak and vulnerable. What do you do in that situation? God does two things to sustain us in all this. Yes, he's got this loyal love. Yes, he has his comforting presence, but he also provides a strong protection for his people during those times. A strong protection. And he uses the description of somebody that climbs way up into the mountains and hides back in these rocks. And it's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a high place that no matter if the tidal surge comes in, it, no matter if an army swarms across the valley and begins climbing the mountain, they're high enough and they're out of reach. And not only that, but they're, they're tucked back into this crevice. They're, they're safe in this haven, but they also are tucked back into this crag that's just so inaccessible to the enemy. And it's a place of safety and protection. God is sustaining and protecting his people. Yes, they may suffer physically. Yes, there may be emotional harm as well but their souls and their relationship with him will never be damaged and never be destroyed. They will be with him and his people forever. He's their, their safety. And on top of all that, he says in verse 23, he will bring back on them, on the wicked, 
This is that boomerang idea. He will bring on them this, this, this rebound. Their iniquity will rebound back on them. The suffering that they have inflicted on others will actually be thrown upon them and they will suffer also. The injustice that they've inflicted upon other people, that, that's going to come back and get them. There'll be another gang or another empire or another person in authority that will come back and put the pressure on them and that's often what God does is bring about His justice by even using wicked people to punish other wicked people. He does that because God's in control. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. (laughs) The word wipe them out in Hebrew can be better translated wipe them out. He'll annihilate them. He'll, He'll destroy them. He's going to do that. And you say, oh, that sounds so cruel. What would you say if you had cancer and your doctor says, well, I got out 97% of the cancer, but I left 3% there because I feel bad for all the cancer being killed. And why are you chuckling? You're chuckling because you're giving a foothold for that dangerous disease to continue to ravage you and potentially kill you. No, take it all Get rid of all of it. I'd like to live, thank you very much. There is a God who is the king of all the universe. He is the righteous judge of the whole earth, of all people. And he is going to punish and judge wickedness and sin once and for all, and it will be gone forever. Not right now, but it's coming. It's coming. This is the God you and I are called to bravely stand with. The God who fearlessly stands up for His people. He is loyal in His love for them. He is comforting in His presence. He is strong in protecting them. He is the righteous judge that will punish all evil. And because He stands for the weak, And the defenseless and the righteous and the innocent, the widow, the orphan, the migrant, because he stands with them this way, then you and I are called to stand with them as well. And we can do that because God's on the move. We can do that because our God stands with us. We stand with him as he stands with them to defend them. That's what we're called to do. Oh God, shine forth in your justice. Shine forth in your vengeance. What's prayed for in verse 1 and verse 2 is fulfilled in verse 23. They will be wiped out. And justice and love and peace will prevail because God is the righteous judge who reigns, who rules over all people for his honor and for his glory. I'd like to pray with you. Father in heaven, we live in times that are very frightening. I think we all could admit to you that there's there's an anxiety that we feel. But I thank you that this psalm, like many other places in Scripture, tells us that you're in control. 
And there's no calamity or disaster that catches you by surprise. There's no tyrant or terrorist that frightens you. There is no corruption. There's no political party. There's no movement that would ever, ever scare you and make you think in any way that they're in control and you're not. And I thank you that we can trust you and we can depend on you to do what is right and just. I pray that this day, Lord, that you would help us to stand with those who are weak and oppressed, with those who are lost and hurting. Help us stand with them because you stand with them and because you stand with us. Help us, Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, the soon coming King. Amen.